welcome to the seventh episode of Something in the Crumb. This is Unsung Kim and Kim Wen. And if you're here on episode seven, that means that you are like one of the chosen few. <laughs> <laughs> Who care about our niche interest? <laughs> niche interest. I think Kim put like a new category of like what'd you call it? Critiques of capitalism. Yeah, critiques of capitalism and K dramas. Yeah, critiques of and cap- secondary market. I mean, as our as our as our you know topics because you know the film and TV or fashion or politics you know like those are not categories we really fit under so we are grateful for you and we thank you and you know this is episode seven which we're really excited about so (laughs) we hope you're just as excited as we are oh yes we are super excited to start getting into um Another another episode of uh, my love from another star yes. or my love from the star. Um, and last time, I think we covered a lot of territory. It was very exciting. Very exciting. A lot about nationalistic propaganda, about academic propaganda, about master narratives of how perhaps it's just important to remember that you know the Christian narrative of transformation and salvation and submission are kind of folded and capitalism can be Mm -hmm. folded into so much if one is not careful so we've literally watched two two dramas that that really take take up the master narrative um i mean including this one so it's true um and I think in this episode, we're going to talk maybe a bit more about some of those specific relationships, I think, that exist, Um, you know, not only within their families, but within some of these uh, friendships. (laughs) I'm going to use that term very loosely because these friendships are, some of them are constructed on jealousy and spite. (laughs) Um, I'm not really sure. Or unrequited love. Uh, I'm or codependency. I don't know if we should use those terms in relationship to friendship per se. <laughs> so friendship in quotations, I think, is is yes. is what we are talking about. And it, it's interesting because I, for the la- I mean, the last few dramas, and we've only really grappled with three so far. I mean, I guess four, including this. We haven't actually talked about any female friendships mostly because there wasn't much to talk about unfortunately um you know i I say that with some sadness that like the most important relationships to me are my friendships with women (laughs) they carry the most absolutely yes i mean and we (laughs) we seem to have only shared examples of Bad, bad friendships. Um, Something in the Rain is not a great example of female friendship. No. Um, more examples of white feminism and betrayal, probably. Um, and but, there's really not, I mean, well, we didn't talk about it in Crash Landing, but she did have female friends. In um, North her, Korea? Her North Korean friends. Um, but we didn't really delve into that. Yeah, too much about what that kind of friendship was. I mean, she definitely—they were definitely more her friends than the than the employees she forced yes. to have lunch. To, to you know, those that she forced. What what would you call it? Like mandatory lunch meetings yes. with the CEO. Um, that that's not a friendship. So if your CEO asks you to lunch, like that's really not. I hope that that. We all agreed that's not a friendship. Um, But I think that her friendship with the North Korean women, it was more so like symbolic, like as in we Mm -hmm. saw them doing things, but it it wasn't like we learned about anyone's interiority or anything. They, they, in the way that so many of the other characters existed um, on that show, they were just sort of 
almost like props to yes. or like used in a way um to help with her transformation her resurrection yes you know um it was about her humanization into neoliberal capitalism <laughs> so that she could really start to relate to the worker i guess <laughs> but only only as a way to further exploit from the uh, from yes the worker. extract information from yes. workers <laughs> So this is to say that my love from uh, from the start has an interesting um, plot device that we have not grappled with before, and that there is a very consistent shitty best friend who appears. Like in all of the episodes, there is a best friend who is very shitty who very you know she's just like she's always there, and she's basically the cause of like. 80% of the problems in the act, the, the main character's like professional life, if not also somewhat per personal life. Mm -hmm. We should also say that the shitty best friend is also an actress, a rival actress. I mean, it's kind of crazy that these, so the lead actress or lead character, her shitty best friend, and the dude that is in love with her, that she doesn't love back. Um, they all grew up together. So they've known each other since they were children or preteens, whatever. And somehow they all ended up like in Hollywood. <laughs> in Korean so, Hollywood. Korean yeah. Hollywood, you know, where the lead character is arguably the most famous. Um, her best friend, or what she thinks is her best friend, uh, is also famous, but often plays more supporting roles and is deeply, deeply jealous of her best friend. Very Which, classic trope. Can we just sidebar and say that this is not a grievance? Like, you are a famous actress <laughs> and your biggest, like, you know, and we'll get more into this, but it's like, if your biggest grievance is that you are consistently casted as a supporting member like that maybe that's not everything that you want but it's like you are a famous actress that constantly yeah. that consistently works like I don't know I don't know it's, it's, yeah, it's you're really, fine you're actually really, fine. basically it's like really hard to empathize with this shitty best friend like she's like a yeah I mean, she's the worst. The like, worst. she is so unlikable. And, you know, and it makes me, like, really upset because you're like, I don't want to have to watch a show where I'm like, the woman is the worst. I hate her. You know, like, because it just, like, makes you feel really shitty, too, and it's not good. But she's pretty terrible. I don't think she's a great actress. You know, I'm not, no. like, amazed by her skills, which is so funny that she plays an actress that's not that impressive <laughs> um oh yeah very very meta it's like a simulacra like in the simulacra you are a supporting actress who is mad that you are casted as the sim uh, supporting actress but you were casted that way because you're not a great actress so you have to play <laughs> the actress who is not that great but you are also not that great, we all believe. And you think that you'd be great at it because that's who you are in real life. But it's like, I, I, you know, I don't know how acting works. You know, whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, we don't do it, so we don't know. But she, but it, like, as we discover, because at first we, like, when you encounter, you know, her relationship and their dynamic together, you, like, kind of immediately assume it's related to a professional kind of jealousy or, like, this like professional lack that she feels in her own career. But what it actually is, is that she is in love with the dude that they grew up with. And that dude loves her best friend. He don't love her back. Yeah. <laughs> and that is what it's about. It's the fact that she's constantly number two for him and is constantly chasing him and he never sees her. Um, and we, you know, I think one of the things that we wanted to talk about though is that there's so many, um, there's just like multiple instances of unrequited love that exist on this show, which, you know, obviously goes with its kind of like cosmos planetary purity narrative thing, you know, it's perfectly in line with that. But essentially it's like, she loves him, he loves her, but it doesn't, none of it cycles back in any direction. Um, and 
there's an interesting dynamic in which when she finally reveals to the dude that she's been in love with him this entire time and he is just like you know uh i don't love you back but he only understands how he feels in his unrequited love that is not reciprocated that is like that he like i think he he kind of retracts it right like initially he says that you know he wants to like stay friends with her or something like that and that like because he's someone that lives with his misery and he's comfortable living with that misery in a way where he like i think multiple times um the lead character said that she's like not interested in him and he's fine with living that way and says that he's like perfectly happy but then there's um the shitty best friend who also is in a very similar position but she manifests her misery through more vindictive (laughs) and jealous acts um and you know and i think we wanted to talk a bit about like these people who really draw out their misery in a way that it comes to define them. It comes, it consumes them. It's how they exist. They don't, there's no, there is no love language. Their language is just misery. You yes. know, it comes, it comes out of them and that's all they accept into them yes. as well. Yeah. I mean, so we wanted to talk about uh, in um, Kim's words, people who draw out misery versus, which is the shitty best friend, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that she's like, the, this is the first female friendship we get to analyze. And it's no good. It's no <laughs> it's good. not a good one. Because um, female friendships are amazing, you know. They're but great. Like, they're the best. They're the best. Only, the only friendships worth having. <laughs> only friendships worth having. So, so, so in Kim's words, people who draw out misery versus people who <laughs> nip it in the bud, who we will talk about in just a moment. <laughs> who is supposed to be the serial killer brother. So <laughs> that is, you know, we want to call we want to just compare. They're, they're all miserable. They're, they're all, all miserable. miserable. Just some of them choose to deal with it in different a different yes. way. You know? And, and, you know, to make it clear, we're not saying which is worse because <laughs> clearly the serial killer is worse. We're not monsters. Yeah, we're not monsters. But these are symbolic. These are symbols. So, you know, if we're just thinking symbolically, what does it mean to have a shitty best friend who's who hates you, essentially, and only is near you because you are sometimes near the person, the object of your affection, who you actually understand will never return your affection. Uh, And you're... And so you 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 go out of your way for a decade or more to cause misery upon the your, the person that you call best friend in order to spend a little bit more time being ignored by the object of your affection. I mean, like, oh, so much, so much is happening. Like, you know, we could call this like Freudian melancholia. We could call mm. it like. Also, how available are you that like you spend all of your time as a in your 20s throughout your mid 30s pining after somebody who has absolutely no interest in returning your affection, which this is what I wanted to say about love triangles and unrequited love. I think that there's something about K-drama that um, and maybe all drama that romanticizes unrequited love as some kind of like deep emotional undertaking of like, you know, just sadness and something to explore and understand. And like, you, like you're supposed to like empathize with this, like this, this longing that's not returned. And I just want to say like, maybe this has some valid points if you're 12 or 15 and maybe, maybe 18, but after that it's like it's just a signal of of some deep deep unavailability <laughs> and but also misery. don't you think it's like a you know a variation of a kind of like protestantism or whatever it is too where it's like <sighs> you suffer you like you know you suffer you like believe like like it is that kind of misery totally. that like you live this way because you know like that is like but like knowing that you have love or the potential of love 
is somehow like justification for being miserable. It's totally true. You're totally right. That is very much a Protestant kind of like, I, you know, love is just sacrifice. I'll just sacrifice Mm -hmm. my happiness. And, and then that will make me feel essentially self-righteous. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, we should actually very much contend with the fact that like, love is not love unless like, there are multiple like it's reciprocal yo you know like sorry <laughs> not in k-drama world you know you try to divorce somebody doesn't work <laughs> like, just because you say so doesn't mean it happens like you try to break up with someone doesn't work if both of you don't do it someone just says no and it doesn't happen and maybe this like implodes the whole like you know Jesus died on your sins or died on the cross for your sins, like loves you one-sided and that's why like whatever salvation, maybe it implodes us in some complicated way. But I do want to say that like, I find it to be really, I find like pining after someone for a decade, like that premise to be in itself actually kind of like, it's not romantic. It's, um it's concerning on a level of like is there melancholia like what's happening with you you know like why are you doing this to yourself i mean bare minimum it is an emotional immaturity where it's like why are you pining after someone that you knew when you were like 12 like that's messed up like it's like you know you've changed this person has changed so many things in your lives have changed. I guess you're all really famous now. <laughs> like, I just don't, it, it is like a strange thing to also like, what does that mean? You know, like to unpack that, right? Like yeah. that you've hung on to that love, which I think goes back to that kind of purity too. It's like a type of love that is very specific, you know, that is not, you know, it's and, a different kind of love. And it's an it idealized love because yeah. if you were to be in a relationship, if you were to date this person, um, 5,000% says that you immediately have conflict as all relationships go. You know, mm-hmm. if you were dating, if it was a monogamous, if it was a non-monogamous, like all of, all of it will include conflict. You'll all, you'll both be triggered. Shit will happen. And then <laughs> things will not be so idealized anymore. And then you'll just have to live in, live in those crumbs. Like, you know, which like maybe they're beautiful crumbs and maybe they're not, but like, it will not be, it will no longer be. But there are crumbs. There are this crumbs. Is like, this is like, the, these people are living in a crumb-free love. <laughs> like, that is not real. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, and like, that's what you're saying. It's, it's this like pure idealized realm of like 12-year-oldness, yeah. you know, that is the is the moral premise of why she's allowed to be vindictive and manipulative and horrible to the people that she publicly claims are the very people closest to her in her life. Well, and we can, you know, within this kind of um, conversation around emotional maturity or even within communication, we talk a lot about managing our expectations of people. (laughs) Um, And, you know, to, to talk more about like what we mean when, you know, only misery comes out and misery is allowed in. It's like, you also allow yourself to have these kinds of relationships. You know, the fact that your best friend Mm -hmm. is one that you hate so much that is so self-involved. Like our lead actress is very self-involved and very like, like is shitty to her best friend you know like when we first meet her it's like there is definitely um a lopsided power dynamic that exists between the two of them but part of it is like you know you having to take ownership of some of that like as someone who is like also in this friendship relationship whatever it is where it's like it is not reciprocal it is not or evenly you know reciprocal and you And you, like, you just kind of keep taking it, you know? And, like, I think that she, and then it just, like, feeds her misery. It just, like, Mm -hmm. feeds it more. Where she never at any point communicates with anyone in her life about how she feels. Not until, like, like, when it's just so long. Like, it's been over 10 years, you know? You're like, it's 
This is way too long for you to tell this guy that you're in love with him. It's way too long for you to tell your best friend that you're like, I just don't feel like you value me mm-hmm. as a friend. Um, which, you know, probably goes back to her emotionally being stunted, I guess. Yeah. And that kind of, that kind of, you know, idealized stance and then conflict avoidance. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, this is like, I'm pretty con, I like, I'm pretty, I'm fairly afraid of conflict, especially with like people I care about. But that's just something that I've had to learn about myself over the years. You know, like I'm more afraid to have conflict with the people that I'm, I care about rather than like strangers for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just like, these are the things, but it's because those relationships are so real. But like, because they matter. They Those matter. relationships are the ones that matter. They, yes. And so it's like if you aren't putting in that kind of time, it's like these relationships, do they even really matter to you? Yeah. And maybe you just let them go. It's okay. Because the only thing that's holding them together, quote unquote, together is your misery. Yes. Yes. And like it's like your misery is the kind of misery that's you you your misery is literally infectious like you go out of Mm -hmm. your way to infect other people and their situations Mm -hmm. like she goes out of her way to like plot professional misery upon her best friend which like and also like like personal misery and it's just like because that's that's the only thing that you have inside to give and that i mean i think that that is a very particular kind of person like the person who well, draws out their misery and like and in this way she's not that different from the serial killer you know <laughs> because i mean i think there's like a point in which the lead actress like i think is about like gets physically harmed on set and the shitty best friend is kind of like into it <laughs> like like she likes the fact that it's like she nearly died is she dead maybe she died oh my like, gosh she's into it you know and i it's love like, it Ooh. you're like playing like, matchmaker no, not that yeah. not as far away as we thought you're like this is a match made in heaven people <laughs> who draw their misery and the serial killer like <laughs> look the shitty best friend and the serial killer should have gotten together oh my god duh it's the now there's a perfect codependent love (laughs) yeah but like okay so maybe they are similar but like the difference (laughs) is the difference is is, so the other the the, the other kind of miserable individual um is the serial killer older brother so like you know the other i gotta tell you well cast physically (laughs) he is so terrified his skin is so poreless that you're like for sure like you definitely kill people like there's there's just like no dimension in it i'm like i understand like every time you come on screen where's your giant red chair and your white cat like that is how evil he looks i don't think i've ever seen him in anything but like a murderer or like a killer or a corrupt like combination of the two it's like he's always that person he's like I don't think I've ever seen him in a role but a villain. I think about him sometimes. I'm like, (laughs) do you think in real life he's just like a super nice dad? Or do you think he's like actually maybe cold and emotionally unavailable in real life? R.I.L. I mean, probably. Okay, that's such a sidebar. To continue, (laughs) to continue. So there's an older It's speculative, but I feel like it's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's how well cast he is. But he's a middle child. He's a middle child. But we find that out later. We think he's just the oldest brother. So we think it's, you know, maybe typical, (laughs) typical, like, wealthy corporation family with, like, the older brother with a lot of responsibilities who has to, like, you know, lead this company, whatever. Um, Like, those kinds of billionaire problems. Yeah. But then we turn out, it turns out that he also has Jan Brady problems. He is the middle child because he he became the oldest child because he murdered his older brother. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, look, this, there's going to be some like, the, within the patriarchy, I am not the <laughs> oldest son. Therefore, the inheritance might not 
it completely come to me. And thus, I will solve, yeah. this is it, what the heap, when we say people who nip it in the bud, with the serial <laughs> killer, it's both symbolic and literal. Like he nips it in the bud through murder. He's like, you are a problem for me. Murder will be my yeah. solution. It's very like, there's no other solution for him. Like he's not a, he's not a problem solver. He's not, he's not going to analyze the situation. He's like, this is the hassle. Kill her. This is a hassle. Kill him. And, <laughs> and the list is long. Like there's, and it goes on. This is actually, this series is also a little bit longer than I think some of the other series that we watch, which are more around, on average, uh, about 16 episodes, 12 mm-hmm. to 16 episodes. Mm-hmm. This one's like 21, 22, something like that. And so this series of murder, this murder plot, this murderer plot is just like, it goes on for a lot of episodes where you're like, whoa, I don't understand why you still want to kill this woman. Like, she doesn't have... Like, there's the reason why he initially wants to kill um, our lead character is because she has potentially, doesn't even realize, has evidence against him about this other actress that he murdered, <laughs> that he also knocked up secretly. And, and so she doesn't realize that she accidentally has this, like, I don't know, thumb drive in a purse or something, which seems like a very 2010 Plot, I have to thumb, say it's thumb exciting. drive, thumb drive. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but at a certain point, it's like it comes out that like the investigators know that he had a relationship with. It's like this isn't a thing anymore, and yet, and she doesn't have anything. Like she doesn't have the stuff. And at a certain point, he's still just like she's still gotta go, still gotta kill her. You know, like I gotta gotta take the edge off. Still, still gotta kill her. And then he's like. Is she dating this guy? I want to kill him too. And then it turns out he's an alien. And he's just like, uh, let me now see if I can blackmail this alien, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah. But like, so we should say two things. He, this is, he, he's actually a really good way to explain perhaps the, you know, um, the billionaire approach to problems or how they even like, <laughs> like why they're billionaires in the first place it's like yeah murder has literally yeah. been like the murder it's fundamental and, like, foundational yes, it's fundamental <laughs> and the like violence is like your immediate answer so like yes that's reflective but secondly the the alien has done so much to hide that he's an alien for 400 years he's like i will take one boring professional job after another i will like basically not have any friends i'll live in this really like mediocre condo building whatever and when the serial killer finds out that he's an alien he's not like oh my god you have superpowers like that's so weird cool he's like you should help me murder people yeah he this is a very trash human response and i mean trash human not because he is like a trash bag but just like humans are trash you know where it's like he this alien is exceptional this alien is just like you should be like whoa super cool you're an alien you have all these things and and the one thing that this billionaire wants is like can i put you to work can i get you to like can i put you to work and can I get you to kill people for me? Oh my god! And deal, and deal with my shitty human problems. Oh my like god. that's what he thinks of like how to deal with this relationship. It, it's also funny because he doesn't have any interest in like really like exploiting him. Like it's like kind of like it's not enough, right? It's not enough to like ex- or not exploit him, sorry, expose him. It's not enough to like expose him. It's like I got to put you to work. Too. No. Okay. First of all, my mind is blown because I realized that that is actually such a perfect like racial analysis of the human alien <gasps> dynamic right so like the interaction is not like oh my god like wow oh, so before we started the the the, the podcast this week um, i sent him like a Deuces and marrow clip where they reduces was basically and we'll link it in the podcast where did you know that there's apparently a UFO sighting this week? Last week? This week? 
you know. I think it's old, but they shared the footage. Yeah. Like an actual reputable agency felt like, okay, why not share it right now? Because we're all kind of quarantined. And maybe we can <laughs> we talk. Need, we need to believe in other planets that we yes. can colonize because this one's no good. Now. Sure. And Jesus was basically like, um, they flew by, like they flew over <laughs> and they, they like clearly were like, oh no, no, thank you. No, thank you. And they were like, earth is the, you know, university of Phoenix of the Milky way. Like, let's be clear that no one, like aliens don't want to be here. Like, this is like such a, you know, we're like a, they will just put the clip there so that I don't have to redo the whole thing because I can't but it's like this is to say that the alien literally is exceptional let's be clear about this and like in the UFO in the literal sort of symbolism they're not landing here they're like flying by they're not even stopping by so they're exceptional the human encounters the alien and they're like wait um can you work for me but like not just any kind of work like murder yeah. <laughs> just you need to do the criminal work that I personally don't want to do the implicated in it. Yeah. Um it's getting a little risky now for me. <laughs> I like to have a little bit more distance from that kind of labor to be honest <laughs> with you. Um but it's it's so true. You are absolutely right. Yeah. And then even like and then I think that, you know, we wanna think about like this alien being trapped on this planet, you know, effectively trapped for 400 years. Um, Going back to that clip again about how planet Earth is like being (laughs) scared straight for aliens. (laughs) Like this is where you come to like shape up. (laughs) And like, you're like, God, I have to be more appreciative of my planet. Like this place is garbage. Yeah, which I think he definitely discovered, you know, because he's like, people here are so emotional. Nobody here looks good. <laughs> like, everybody dies, you know, like, and everyone just like treats each other really poorly. Like, yeah. I think that's actually one of the things too, is that he talks, our alien is always just like, one of the reasons he keeps to himself. I think it's also because he's like, all of you people are like terrible to each other. All of you. They're, you're kind of terrible to one another. Why do I even want some of these relationships? Because you're mean, you're aggressive, you're jealous, you're sad, you're angry, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that sounds like a lot. And I don't want that. So, which, you know, on the flip side of that, that means that he also doesn't see joy or love or whatever. He's a- <laughs> or, or as we understand it in this trash fire planet of, of love, you know, alien love might be something else. And it clearly is superior to whatever <laughs> happens here. So this is all to say that the serial killer does nip it in the bud. So it's a different kind of interaction with misery, but like your encounter with him will probably result in misery because you probably will be dead literally or put to work. One or the other, right? One or the other. One or the other, which is both, you know, not the same kind of misery, but definitely like in the realm. Yeah. Yeah. Choose your fighter. (laughs) Choose your fighter. Um, But maybe that's a really good way for us to kind of revisit the topic that we touched on last time of orphans and wealthy people's problems on television and like, you know, the constant sort of the way that they're grappled with and represented and well they're well represented (laughs) so well represented like don't you feel like you understand how devastating each and every small like infraction is we know so much about wealthy people's problems like like every every show is about a wealthy person's problems you're like oh my gosh wow i really understand you Still don't really understand myself, but like you, I understand so well. And I mean, you know, very often they're 
there's like baseline murder that happens with most of these wealthy wealthy problems. Mm-hmm. It's there's a lot of diabolical murderous behavior. It's a lot of secrets yes. going on there. Um, but there, I think there's a very common sort of um, scenario in which it's like every like this whole family's very wealthy, but there's one kind of like black sheep or someone that is wealthy, but, you know, still has morals Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, of some kind, doesn't necessarily give up their wealth, (laughs) but but is someone that like recognizes that certain things are problematic maybe within their families. is this an interesting character? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, just like as we talked about before, where it's like, so you go from aristocracy to a billionaire. Like, is that a problem that we care about? I guess. Um, but in this series, you know, the the murderous brother, the serial killer brother, um, his the youngest, the youngest brother in that family is the the dude that also has the unrequited crush on our lead lead character. Um, and he is a pushover. It's kind of sad. Um, but he ultimately is, he, he's the one that kind of instigates um, a little bit more investigation into his brother. And it's, it comes with a lot of, I think, um, familial strife for him where he brings brings it up to his parents and his dad is just like it basically says like yeah we know your brother's a murderer like but he runs our corporation so you need to tone it down like that is like you're out of line and like multiple times just like defends the fact that you know as if being a serial killer is a kind of exceptionalism that we should be like more understanding of, I guess. Like, it's like so stressful to be. It's so stressful. You so don't understand. Stressful. His job is really important, so he's just gonna kill people. Like that's just what, what happens. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I mean, but like, so is he an interesting character? Who knows? Probably not. But he's an interesting symbol mm-hmm. in that. He's an interesting symbol that I do think is reoccurring enough yes. of, you know, like we talked about how like all of the character or the main character, the alien is literally a literal orphan. And the, and the main character that the, the lead actress is an orphan in a way or a parentified child. And then we have this, the son of a wealthy, you know, corporate conglomerate who is, maybe not explicitly an orphan, but really does take up uh, and and distances himself Mm -hmm. from like family traditions so explicitly to the detriment of the family, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is not necessarily something that we don't really see him like grappling with it. Like, oh, is it sad for me to expose my serial killer brother it's just more like procedural to a certain extent well i don't know i do think he is there is like some has some there's some sadness yeah there's some sad i think there's like there the scenes i think when he tells his parents and he's and like especially when he's the one it's not it's not just that like um when he expresses that he's suspicious of his serial killer brother but when he actually finds out that it's like he killed my brother your son and that they are they don't really want to address that that's i think when he feels really like oh i am not and then he like and then i think he actually isn't there a moment where he's like you die or i die no 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 i and i I agree with you as in like, I don't think he, we see him being like really torn up about the fact that addressing this problem is going to bring his family down. Oh, he's more yes, like, yes. what is happening? Like, why is this problem? Like this problem? He's like, this is a problem and we need to address it. 
which yes, we just wanted to sort of then quickly analyze how the refreshing actually, actually it is that this seems to be something that's that's almost like a steady symbol that's included in a lot of K-drama of like some kind of deviance that's not just like, oh, one, like, oh, it's like momentary, but followed through. And there's enough of characters like this where, you know, I guess like a more radical break and a radical rupture would of course be lovely, but it's like these people are supposed to play adult characters and they cannot just be obedient to their father's vision of supporting a serial killer CEO for the rest of their <laughs> lives. And like, you know, deviation will occur in, in this instance through him, but also like through the other characters. This does not necessarily happen in U.S. television, in conclusion. True. Yeah. Very true. Well, and, <laughs> and I think that the... You know, we could talk about um, a kind of loyalty that is, you know, there's like the familial kind of loyalty that exists um, that like I feel like a lot of these shows have this idea about like you as a representative of this family, you as someone who... um, must sacrifice for this family. Um, There's like this kind of dimension that like, I don't know, I feel like in a lot of North American television, it's, uh, it is related to a protectionism around the corporation or the protectionism around, you know, status in a way that isn't the same thing as like, um, yeah, I don't know how to properly articulate, but it's like this kind of familial thing that's a little bit different, I think. Yeah. No, I mean, and of course, I don't think that there are people who would ever listen to this and be like, actually, there's just <laughs> one show that like is totally different on the network TV in the US. You know, because of course, like, like there could be variations, but I do, the few shows that I have seen that... Um, Hollywood has made over the past decade and I, I, I've always like noted this with interest is that like the plot points are often you know when it's involved when it involves like kind of like white family drama the plot points are often like is this person you know who is my dad really Li- like literally like who is he like I must find him or like who is he like symbolically like I must figure out what he's doing and then if the son slash daughter slash character figures out that they're evil, which oftentimes they are, because let's be honest, like the father symbol is supposed to be symbolic. You're supposed to break away from patriarchy um, and, the, and, and the top-down system. Ideally. Ideally. <laughs> so usually the father is evil. And then the secondary question remains, like, do I betray him or not and then mm-hmm. like that's like another like three seasons that i don't watch <laughs> you know yeah let's just point out to k dramas one season let's just we wrap it up right <laughs> nipped in the bud <laughs> the story moves faster this way okay yeah. the serial killer this isn't, this many isn't seven people. seasons of who's my daddy <laughs> <laughs> I know. Maybe the symbol, like the symbolism, would have been really drawn out if it was seven seasons. But it's like, look, it's one season. He's like, whoa, my brother's a serial killer, also head of the corporation, but serial killer more important. Um, this is not he, happening. He goes to jail, you know. So yeah. that like wraps it up. But this was U.S. television. My God, <laughs> he'd be murdering for at least three and a half seasons. And then the trial would be another three seasons. And then maybe he would be incarcerated. But then there would be another season that like explores whether or not it really was like the psychology of the brother. <laughs> because, you However, know, there is nothing that the U.S. like you look like there are some things that I just cannot watch and I cannot watch any more shows that explain to me the psychology of a serial killer. Like, 
Do I really need to understand them this well? I really feel like this is some bullshit. Okay, what were you going to say? However. Well, two things. (laughs) One, I feel like we also just don't care about the psychology of shitty men. Like, I just, like, don't need to watch many, many seasons about psychology of shitty men. Like, I'm just not interested. Uh, But... Secondly, but that's all that's uh, available as content in the U.S. It's like this absolutely. serial killer, this other serial killer. It's like there's the male gaze, and then there's now the male serial killer gaze. This is like, <laughs> like, serial, you want to talk about niche? Like, wow! <laughs> Everything on Netflix is just like true crime, male serial killer gaze. Well, and this brings me back to what I was going to say. However, here's something that, like this K-drama has in common with, like, many other shows in the United States, and it's that some woman's got to die. <laughs> like, yeah. There's always a woman that dies, and that has to somehow generate some other plot point, and 100% uh, a woman dies on this show, and it becomes a big deal, but I actually think that there's multiple women that die. Right? Yeah. We didn't see any deaths of women in something in the rain or yeah. one whatever and crash landing, right? Um, Other than but I, fake, I fake watched death. that terrible one when the oh. camellia blooms and like yeah. multiple women die in that one. Yeah. And it's like, look, the male gaze exists it. it everywhere. Good. It's just like, yeah. the question is, is how we can be anyone under patriarchy. Yeah. We can be anyone. But I do think that Netflix has been really advocating like yes. the male serial killer gaze. Like, well, and I'm like, I just, like, can we talk about this? Like how messed up that is. Like, you know, as like what a bad society we are where it's like the top shows on Netflix, the ones that everyone is watching that like, it's just like true crime and like the male serial killer gaze. Yeah. And it's just, we're just like plain serial killers. Like we just like are obsessed with these psychopaths. We're obsessed with like, seeing people in like the most abject and like violent you know scenarios possible i don't know what that's about other than the fact that humanity's trash here (laughs) i mean i do think it's some somewhat linked to the fact that like there's more empathy for you know white supremacist protesters or like the alt-right and like the psycho kind of you know the psychobiology or like the very particular class context or like you know supposed class context or something around that like there's just so much effort that goes into analyzing and empathizing with that group and and i i think that the kind of serial killer kind of close close investigation is another reflection of this it's just like wow you really spent some time being like you know and for everything that's that the actors and the show producers and the writers say that it's supposed to be a critique it's like you you don't actually understand critique then because critique is like it's care and it's it's close but it's also that understanding right so then if your lead character is a white male serial killer and that's who we see the world through for however many seasons and then there's like more shows on top of it like it's not just about critique it's actually then about understanding um and well it's yeah it is like i mean as like a social obsession you know with like needing to understand these things or needing to unpack it when it's like the most frustrating part is, you know, you're like, this isn't that complicated. It's not that complex. Like it actually, like, I don't understand what you're talking. Like, it's like patriarchy. It's like, yes, it is complex in many ways and also not, you know, like there's a lot of things that you, you look at and it's like all the series are the same where it's just like, can't imagine it. I don't understand. Like, let's just figure out why he decided to kill this woman. It's like, I think we know why. Like, <laughs> I think we absolutely know why. Like, and why do you sit here being like as if it's a question mark, as opposed to being like, this is an understood, this is a fact about our society. Oh my god! Like, you're just like, huh? Like, do you understand? Like, yeah, we all know. Why are you watching so many documentaries about it? Like, you don't know. <laughs> and then listening to 
podcast about it. But you know, this makes a really good case for the serial killer representation of this show, which mm-hmm. is like, we don't get any psychology. We just get Absolutely him. Absolutely not. We literally see scenes of him just being like, this person's a problem. Murder. <laughs> and then like, you know, like, so maybe he gets like one scene every every other episode or every episode, depending on how many murders there are. And then he gets a few scenes during the trial. And that's pretty much it. But in every single scene, he's literally he literally sits there and he has like three lines. And it's just like, oh, this is a problem for me. I'm going to solve it through murder. Yes. I mean, in this way, it's also a little bit like he's a cartoon killer, you know? <laughs> like, it's just like, that's all your, your whole, like, there's no dimension to it all. Which, if this is, you know, partly one of our arguments is that it's like, please stop being sympathetic towards these characters. I'm just like, great. I'm like, you're just like a cardboard who kills. Fantastic. <laughs> like, like, good. Like, I, like, you're like the least interesting part about this show. I don't want to, I don't want to know more about you. No. I don't want to know more. I don't want to know more about, like, why you have, like, inferiority complex or, like, that you feel stressed or, like, why you have to kill all these people. Like, you're just, like, just crazy murder guy. And maybe (laughs) you're just, like, irrational about murder. And that's just what it is. I don't know. this is just, this is very much, like, your entitlement to other people's bodies and lives and work, including the alien. And it's just like not that complicated and you don't receive screen time. And anytime you appear on screen, we basically almost scream because you're just like kind of scary to look at. And then. Well, he also has like a signature soundtrack. (laughs) (laughs) So like every time he comes on, you're just like, ah, it's like that scary music. It's the murder music. And you're like, something bad's going to happen. Like, I hope he doesn't murder anyone this, this time around. (laughs) He's like, you know, he's like, look, I'm equal opportunity here to all genders. My brother had to go. My girlfriend had to go, including my child in her stomach had to go. Also true. It's which true. is just That's... like, like, okay. Okay. I mean, this is also like why you're like, it's not that complex. You know? Like, it's just like, it's just, he just loves to kill. He's just a killer. Kills animals, kills babies, kills women, kills kills workers it's just like getting in the way just kill people it's fine okay so since we're sort of like wrapping we're we're nearing the end i thought we have to we have to make sure we talk about something we touched on last time but that we'll continue to talk about more which is the thematic of emotionally unavailable men (laughs) even when they're in alien form so apparently the alien is either symbolic in this instance or just not. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, this, you know, we can, like, analyze this a bit where it's, like, dude's been on the planet for 400 years, did not, like, work on his, like, emotional competency at during that time. Even though or, he critiques, or, yeah. or that he was emotionally competent and his time on earth devolved his emotional competence because that would make perfect sense <laughs> if, if this planet is far inferior to his planet. Oh my god. I was gonna say, even though he critiques the earthlings for having like just poor emotional relations, he's like, what's up with yeah. your emotional relations? Come on. But it maybe uh, is a combination. It's both like he's mansplaining or alien mansplaining. I don't know. Oh, my God. Yes. I mean, if we think about the power dynamic that also exists, like with mansplaining, if you like, here's this actress who's like 32 or whatever and her lover who's 400. Like, you're just like, oh, my God, the mansplaining must be so intense. He's like, you don't understand emotional complexity. I do. But you're right in that even if he did, he did live on 400 years on Earth as a man. So does that really, what does that actually mean? Like the math there is up in the air at best. It's just like you throw a bunch of jigsaw puzzles up and you hope. Nature and nurture, you know, (laughs) that's it's real it's real 400 years of living like a man which okay i guess he's like 
not a shapeshifter, <laughs> which we'll talk about more maybe during Roswell, um, which would have been a, maybe more interesting if he had lived as multiple genders uh, throughout his time. But he's just like a very handsome, wealthy man yeah. his entire time on Earth. Where else is this leading other than mansplaining and emotional unavailability? So he mansplains to her about, you know, all of his critiques of, of, of earthlings, which we will gladly accept those, you know, especially the worker dynamic, you know. Why should you be put to work for a serial killer billionaire? We, dis we agree. You should not have to accept this, this, this involuntary position. But then also, like, you had 400 years to figure out emotional intelligence and you have like none. Yeah. Doesn't go to therapy, <laughs> no psychoanalysis. No even, even if you don't even go, you think that he would be reading up on all, like 400 no. years is a long no. time. I he, mean, <laughs> look, the few times we see him working and, you know, Kim mentioned that at some point there was spring break at the university and then he just stopped showing up to work. He didn't like, work towards the latter half of the season. <laughs> there was like only there was like spring break, and then it was like spring break, <laughs> like it just like continued. But yeah, the few lectures we saw him give were like essentially um, like alt right lectures, <laughs> like in the vein of like alt right Reddit forums of like, did you know? That like the biology of love, it's just, it's just bullshit. Like you feel pheromones and there's chemicals and it's not real and you don't need it. You don't need it. He sounds like a 14 year old boy who's like, you know, the attraction you feel is just a bunch of chemicals set out for evolutionary purposes and procreation. Don't buy into it while he like, essentially like mean mugs his students which is like also very strange so yeah. there there is one particular lecture i think <laughs> the one that you're describing where it's like aggressive too you know where you're like it's like okay well here's another sign of uh a skill that you didn't develop in your 400 years which is professionalism <laughs> and, and and like any kind of like distancing between your personal life and your professional life because he has like kind of a bad day you know because he is unable to communicate properly with this woman that he clearly is in love with and so then he's like upset about it because you know both of them are like you know these idiot virgins i guess who like can't tell each other how they feel properly and so then he like deals with this like frustration by yelling this lecture to his students which feels very inappropriate very especially like yeah 400 years on this planet dude but i guess you know we could live forever and we'd still be garbage so maybe that's just the lesson there i don't know i don't know but if the lesson is like you've lived 400 years on the planet emotions are hard for you so you like look up some antiquated juvenile research on why love is stupid and you like basically it's a little bit like race as a biological construct has been debunked <laughs> it's a bit of like that <laughs> totally it's totally like that and everyone's like no one cares in the lecture room like people are like holding hands and like you know texting with their they don't know phones. what class they're in yeah. because he keeps changing the topic <laughs> And then he's like, never mind, spring break forever, y'all. Like, it is what it is. I think they're just there because they all think he's attractive, and which, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Makes perfect sense, you know, undergrads, go for it. Yeah, they're like, tell us more about the, the, the science of love and its fakeness. I don't care, you know. <laughs> No. You know, as someone who teaches at a university, I should say that students, I don't think they care at all about what you look <laughs> like or what you teach. I think that their concerns are elsewhere. Like, your body yeah. may, be, may, may, may be relevant, but maybe not. So I should say that. Likely not. <laughs> Likely not. Likely not. 
if you teach, it's, I mean, I say this with so much care for my students, but because the U.S. education system is so expensive, more often than not, and I, and and Korea's housing market is so expensive, more often than not, isn't it like most college students all around the world are just like, these are the classes that I can take based on my work shifts? Yeah. Yeah. Or like classes I was able to just like, get into night classes. I took a lot of night classes, I think, for that very reason. <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, I really liked them, though. It was like I worked during the daytime, and then I could, like, do, like, a 7 to 10 class. Mm. Um, which, hot tip for you young listeners, <laughs> it's great because nobody wants to be there till 10. So the class is actually only, like, two hours max. <laughs> anyway, you always get, like, a half-hour break. It's wonderful. Highly recommended. <laughs> Highly recommended. With with uh, under the new banner of the pandemic, I mean, basically, you're all taking night classes. It's, also true. <laughs> that's what it is. It's either, I mean, because, yeah, like you're either doing work very early in the morning or very late at night. We hope that you're doing other things throughout the day, like knitting, crocheting. Yeah taking walks in your apartment. Um, Get in your 10,000 steps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't do a proper fashion accessory overview. Um, but yeah. are there... Oh, the last thing we'll say about emotionally unavailable men. The reason we brought this up is because we will be talking about a U.S. show next time around. Our first yeah. foray into Roswell, not the reboot. The first mm -hmm. Roswell. Really? <laughs> Which I would like to, I made a mental note to actually look up to see what the ratings were of the oh, show. <laughs> I have looked up what the, what the actors of the show have done since. Because I yeah. followed Jason Bear, the main character, very closely. He, appeared, he just appeared on the new Roswell, the reboot. He basically retired because he like started a bunch of things that never panned out and then some like small Japanese and Korean films that also didn't pan out like one each. And what so does he, he do for money? Well, he married <laughs> he's married to an actress who's who's a regular in a sitcom. Uh, great. <laughs> and he's he's a father. He has an Instagram. I did look at it. But I did this all before actually starting to rewatch the whole thing again. And then as I rewatched it, I was mortified with him and my younger self. I was like, my fucking God, what was I thinking? I mean, we are going to use this as an opportunity to also really dissect a number of teen shows yes. that we watched, which has variations of the same kind of high school dude that oh. was the handsome lead that we were all attracted to or we were supposed we were told to be attracted to yes and they're all overprotective aggressive and kind of idiots most of them and uh, emotionally unavailable entitled emotionally unavailable mansplainy with no communication skills whatsoever yes. and a lot about like like victimhood that we're like Ugh. supposed to be into them saving us yes all the time so there's there are many shows actually we encourage all of you to write us and tell us about the shows that you would like us to discuss yes um but we're going to use roswell perhaps as a lens to really get into that which will be exciting and i think maybe this is the one hope that we can offer as elderly millennials that though the tween drama very much advocates for, you know, an attraction towards this arch archetype, uh, it, you will probably grow out of it if you are not interested in um, reifying the father of capitalism. Like, there is definitely... Uh, I was so mortified. I was like, we, I, yeah. Kim and I were texting each other like nonstop being like, this is <laughs> atrocious. He's like, 
literally the worst. He's like a nightmare. He's the worst. He's, He's actually nightmare. the worst character. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, yes, but. Which also gives us, you know, gives me hope in the sense that like, as, as two people who have matured past the stage of thankfully finding these kinds of men attractive, yes. that so they, it doesn't, they it doesn't age. That archetype hasn't aged you know, with us. It's not like we watched it again and we were just like, yeah, still true. You're just like, I I don't know if this is a thing. You know? No, it's not a thing. It's not a thing. I mean, and let this, we'll emphasize this again. The, we have matured. This archetype continues to exist in the oh, yes. world, everywhere, yes. in yes. representation, but elsewhere. Not only in teens. It's yeah. not a teen exclusive thing. <laughs> <laughs> it can also exist in 400 year old aliens like this is the spectrum that we're working with <laughs> um but in conclusion the fashion was great i mean everyone no one there wasn't a single working class or per person poor person really on the show so no. <laughs> you know the budget was big like there was no one spring night budget no it their apartments like, were very big very lavish and their clothes matched. matched. <laughs> Everything matched. Um, but maybe we'll find some posh items and link them for you. We'll definitely link the Deuces and Marrow clip because that yes. is essential. It's a perfect pairing to this alien. Yes, it'll be a great preparation for <laughs> next alien episode. <laughs> yes. But if you have not seen Roswell, well, you know. Congratulations. Congratulations. But I think that uh, we think, I mean, can I say we, Kim? Yeah. I think I and we think that you'll probably like the two episodes of Roswell because it's not really about Roswell. It's about just queen (laughs) dramas and emotionally unavailable archetypes, archetypes in, in general. So, you know, just stay tuned and we'll probably record them next this weekend we'll post we'll post we'll do we'll We'll do the best that we can as in we'll obsess about the podcast and and um and the merchandise we could eventually create (laughs) (laughs) yes soon we'll be able to link to something in the chrome merch yes uh which we're a non-profit so it's not really about selling them we'll probably just give them to whoever wants yeah you'll probably just write us and be like i'm sad and i also hate roswell and we'll just be like cool here's a free t-shirt and a custom-made bracelet for you like nice the nicest beads i could find on etsy you know so we're just saying this as like we think about the podcast and, and the topics and we're like excited to do more things so Feel free to write us if you want. If you don't want to write us, don't write us. You know, do your thing. We saw all the hearts. Um, Thank you. And the thumbs up, regardless of whether or not you listened or not. Um, (laughs) We hope you're well as well as can be. Yes. And we can't wait to see you next time. See you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.